You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Always appreciate being a part of your day there on the farm, ranch, or wherever it is your work is taking you today. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to talk with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services here in just a moment. We're going to get an update on that cattle on feed report and what it might portend for these cattle markets as we look out to the future. And then in segment two, we're going to be joined for a technology update from FBN. Today, they announced a new partnership designed to help farmers cut costs come spring time. In segment three, we're going to get the lowdown on H2A visa reform. Chris Richardson's the general counsel with BDV, and they are going to be working with folks to get them through the Department of Labor's issues that are causing these slowdowns for H2A hires. And finally, we're going to end the day talking the grain markets with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. Let's dive into it straight away. We had yet another bullish cattle on feed report this past week. Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Did the trade regard it as widely bullish? Yeah, I think so. It's, uh, you know, we're we're 3% lower in on feed numbers. We're talking, uh, uh, Mike, at the start of the year, January 1st, uh, total cattle on feed inventory that's down uh, about 320,000 head uh, from a year ago. And, and we look for that to continue to, 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 to get depleted. In other words, we're going to continue to see lower placements and active marketing and, and tighten up this uh, supply situation. And, and why not? because packing processing margins remain very positive. They have absolutely no incentive to, to slow down the kill. They'll continue to, to, to be aggressive, and at some point uh, the leverage will get away from them, and they will have to chase. Uh, we've seen bits and spurts of that until the last couple of weeks, and then they were able to back off on the, on the cash market, but th- that won't last too much longer. Well, it won't. And you highlighted the drop in placements. We've seen that now three months running. Those placements have been dropping 8% lower year over year. Are we just running out of calves in the countryside? Uh, Yeah, the placement of lightweight calves, Mike, was down 11%, so a little bit more than the, the, uh, you know, 8% lower placements. Placements in the uh, in the uh, state of Texas, Mike, were, were only 79% of a year ago. Uh, so they were, you know, down 21%. Um, and, and that's an indication maybe of two things, um, uh, tight availability of feeders and, and maybe numbers not really coming up from Mexico like normal. I don't have confirmation of that, but it's certainly an indication of such. Uh, yeah, that that would follow. Ability. Dennis, I'm, I'm curious what we've seen here on the meat side of the ledger over the past couple of weeks. Over the holidays, we had that tremendous spread between choice and select beef at the wholesale market. Has that widened or, excuse me, narrowed up in the ensuing weeks? Yeah, it's narrowed rather dramatically here of recent. Uh, I believe that choice select spread is now around $15. And what's happened, Mike, is the, the, the choice rip cuts, beef rib cuts, 
have have tanked. They've literally dropped very hard. That's actually quite normal. Uh, those items are bid up during the holidays. They've corrected downward uh, and they've lost value relative to the select. And that's the reason uh, that choice select spread has narrowed in rather dramatically. It's very normal, very healthy for the market, but uh, don't look for that spread to back up too much further. Okay, good to know. Now, you touched on the fact that the Packers have every incentive to continue running at full tilt, and feeders, I would imagine, with six-plus-dollar corn, have every incentive to scale these cattle back. Dennis, are we starting to see carcass weights decline? Yeah, weights have come off, and I I would expect that to continue as well. So your weights are, are off substantially. They are running below a year ago. And if that continues, why, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, just another bullish log on the fire because now you're talking about fewer cattle, fewer numbers, and and less weight on each number, uh, which really adds to the bullish uh, nature of the supply situation. It does, Dennis. It certainly juices it up on the fat cattle supply. Yesterday, after the trade was was digesting these cattle on feed numbers, it seemed like the feeders were responding more vigorously to the market. What's changed for the feeder cattle? Why were they? Why did it appear that they were a bigger response yesterday to these numbers? Well, there's there's a couple of uh, items at work here. Uh, number one is uh, actually there's three items at work here. Let's see if I can keep them all straight. Uh, uh, the deferred cattle contracts, Mike, yesterday, October, December, and February of 24, they all closed at, at new contract high settlements. So that's a bullish indication for the feeder cattle market. Of course, feeders are always looking into the future uh, on where the live cattle market is projected to be going. That's one item. The second item is the possibility of a leg down in the corn market ahead of the U.S. planting season as we're getting some improved weather situations developing and other factors. And the third item is that funds, as indicated on the latest Commitment of Traders report, are short about 6,000 feeder cattle contracts. It's what I would call a possible classic bear trap as we have a what could be a very bullish biannual cattle inventory coming out one week from today. Oh, that is a great point. We'll get that January update of the total cattle herd. Does the trade have an expectation of numbers on that coming report? I've not seen any uh, trade estimates out yet, Mike, but it will be lower. That is, we we will be looking at a smaller calf crop. Uh, We will be looking at, uh, you know, fewer heifers retained for breeding. Uh, that cattle on feed report, Mike, indicated that uh, heifers as a percent of on feed is at 40%, and that's the highest percent in well over 10 years. It indicates absolutely no uh, no heifer retention in the industry. Wow, turning those factories into beef. And of course, that ultimately sets us up for that cash fat cattle discussion. Last week, I saw trade was around 155. Dennis, could it be stronger this week? I really expect the cash market to trade higher this week as well, yes. And what are you watching for a target potentially here in this cash market? Can we top 160 before we get to mid-February? 
Oh boy, mid-February topping 160. Um, I, I'm not sure if we can go that strong or not. It, it certainly is possible, but that's a, that's a pretty a pretty good stretch. It's amazing how big of a stretch those final couple dollars can be when we're talking about the futures markets. And folks, we've been talking about the cattle market this morning with Dennis Smith. You can find him with Archer Financial Services, works with cattle producers around the country. And Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to talk about some new technology changes at Farmers Business Network. Stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up tune in the first wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on aoa it's brought to you by our friends at the national corn growers association and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand what happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain that's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind again that's the first wednesday of every month and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast it's a show you don't want to miss pride it runs deep for those in agriculture but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most an injury illness or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear farm rescue is here to help shoulder that burden we are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting haying and harvesting assistance there is no pride lost when it comes to farm rescue learn more at farmrescue.org as a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. 
My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, over this past year, one theme that has continued to come up time and time again has been the rising costs of input prices. 2022 was likely one of the most expensive crops ever put in the ground in American agriculture. 2023, looking at this point like it is going to top it. Farmers out there are looking for ways to reduce those costs while still ensuring they can achieve their goals from a production standpoint. Well, today, there is a new announcement from Farmers Business Network designed to help those growers better meet those needs. Joining us now to run through the details is Matt Meisner. He's a vice president of research and development and the head of data science over at Farmers Business Network. And Matt, if you would, tell us what you've got on the docket for today's announcement. Morning, Paul. Appreciate the time. So we're really excited today to announce our collaboration uh, with GreenEye Technologies. Uh, we are basically launching a, a partnership here where farmers through FBN will be able to uh, access GreenEye's technology for precision spraying. Uh, Nadav uh, will tell, talk a little bit more about that, but um, basically going to be providing a way for growers to, to buy this system and combine it with inputs from FBN uh, that are particularly tailored to the GreenEye technology uh, to really help growers um, obtain the highest return on investment input program uh, for their operation. That is fantastic. And you mentioned it several times, the green eye sensing technology. That's the secret sauce that is going to make this deal work. Joining us now is Nadav Bocher. He's the CEO of green eye. And Nadav, if you would tell us how does green eye sensing technologies work and what are you trying to do out in the field? Perfect. Good morning and thank you for having me. Uh, so basically, GreenEye technology is a retrofit system for industrial sprayers. So essentially what we do is uh, retrofit an existing machine, turning it into a smart machine with our sensor. So basically, we use artificial intelligence. So we put cameras and GPUs on the machine. And this way, when the machine drives through the field, the camera in real time in commercial travel speed can sense the weeds and precisely spray just the weed. So just to give an idea, last season... 2022 was our first commercial season, first commercial launch in the U.S., being the first company to bring this long-desired concept to actual commercial phase. Um, and average reduction we've seen is 88% on the non-residual herbicide. So just to give an idea of, of how significant this is, uh, we've worked last year with, with some of the some of FBN members. Uh, we've seen similar results, an average reduction of 86%. And like Matt said earlier, we think that to really get the most out of this technology, it's really in the intersection of massive savings on chemicals, but at the same time to enable farmers to use the best crop protection. And this is why we're so excited with this collaboration with FBN. And Matt, Nadav highlighted some of the research that went through this last year as this uh, this program was kind of in its trial phase. Can you talk a little bit, you mentioned some of the reductions in herbicide and pesticide usage across the fields, but what did that translate to in terms of yield? Were the farmers still happy with the way their crops turned out at the end of the season? Yeah, great, great question. So we, we tested with several FBN growers in, in Nebraska last summer and, and saw really strong results. 
similar to what Nadav mentioned, we saw reduction in contact herbicide usage of about 86%, which is clearly a very significant number that has a, a material impact on the on the growers' profitability, which is really what we're what we're excited about. At the same time, not sacrificing anything in terms of weed control or yield. So that that is what we were really excited about. Is this wasn't just reducing the chemical; it was reducing the chemical usage, but also obtaining the same result, which is uh, which is really what leads up to this being such a compelling. Uh, return on investment for the for the farmer. Absolutely. It's those two pieces coming together. And Nadav, you mentioned the Green Eye system is a retrofit system. It's designed to fit, as I understand it, a number of different models across the commercial spray environment. Can you talk a little bit about what that retrofit would look like? Is that something a farmer can handle on their operation on their own, or does it require some specialists to get the right pieces in the right places? Yes. So basically, the way that the retrofit process works is we will take the farmer's machine to our site and we'll you know, complete the retrofit process A to Z. Basically, we'll replace the farmer's existing boom with a green eye boom that is pre-installed with a green eye sensor. Um, and then we'll also retrofit the machine itself from a single tank to a dual tank. And that's also key to understand that we are enabling farmers to, in one end, broadcast the residual herbicides to ensure they're getting the best weed control. But like Matt said, precisely spraying those contact herbicides and that's where the savings are coming from so all the retrofit process happens on the green eye side we take the machine and then we return the machine back to the farmer when it's fully retrofitted and ready to go okay that is that is very neat to hear now nadav i understand green eye has been around since 2017 and i am not a tech guy so i'm going to ask you a question and if it's a foolish one by all means point me in a different direction but i'm wondering you mentioned machine learning and my understanding is that means the machine continues to teach itself once it's been in the field can you talk a little bit about how that's going to impact efficacy longer term where do you see this system going with the integration of that machine learning well, you described it exactly the way it is. So the beauty with this technology is just it, it's just getting better and better as as it runs through the field more and more times. It lands it learns all those small features in the field, and the algorithms are actually getting better and better. Um, and and we, we see endless opportunity as far as increasing efficacy. So when you know Matt mentioned in last year that when we compare apple to apple, we we've seen the same results as far as efficacy and yield. But we don't want to compare apples to apples because now we have the opportunity with FBN to introduce better product. So product that you could not afford on a broadcast basis, all of a sudden becoming available to you as a farmer. And you know what really keeps farmers up at night uh, is weed control. Resistance is a huge challenge. And now you can be a lot more aggressive with the way you're coming after weeds uh, and manage resistance. So like, like Matt said, it's, it's really way beyond the savings aspect, which is clearly very compelling. It's about customizing the best possible chemical programs for the challenges you have in the field with the Green Eye system and the FBN products. That is a great summation, Adav, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, right, the other correlation to this is that FBN connection. And Matt, Nadav mentioned partnering with FBN allows growers to get access to different chemicals maybe they couldn't afford. Can you talk a little bit about how that works for folks who have maybe not worked with FBN in the past? What can they expect? Definitely. So as Nadav mentioned, we're really focused on uh, you know supplying growers with not just the equipment in this situation, but also the inputs to go along with it that are going to provide them the, the greatest we control at, at the most effective cost. And FBN offers a, a wide range of, of crop protection products through, through the FBN direct platform. 
and we're working on developing specific programs for the green eye system that that are particularly good fit for that type of application part of that is you know broadcast herbicides that will continue to be used as they have been used the other part of that is the contact herbicides that are being applied to potentially 5 10 15 20% of the field which as the dov mentioned really enables us to to access a much wider spectrum of of crop protection products some older some newer potentially at different rates right within the labeled range that that could really help a grower control difficult weeds more effectively and and that's something that we're we're really excited about a big part of how we're developing those plans is really by testing testing the system out in the real world that that's always been an important part of how FBN evaluates new technologies and ultimately develops data sets that help our farmer members make the most optimal decisions is really by doing real world testing under various conditions and generating good robust transparent data that can highlight the most optimal input programs under growers uh, specific agronomic uh, conditions so really excited to continue that work this season and continue to refine the the input program uh, going forward well let's talk about what's coming this season will this system be available for growers in 23 yeah, so in 2023, we have a number of FBN members that will have the systems available, but we secured dozens of systems for FBN members for next year. So we're looking at actually installing dozens of systems this year, post-season, uh, for FBN members for the 2024 season. That's where we're going to do the big commercial launch together. Um, yeah, so, so basically looking to grow quite significantly from that point on. All right, folks, Matt, if we've got listeners out there curious about this technology or curious about the partnership between FBN and GreenEye, is there a place you'd recommend they go for more information or perhaps to connect with somebody who can uh, teach them about what's going on here? Totally. Yeah, we have a have a page on our website set up to, to submit interest where we can can talk in more detail or anybody who is an FBN member, feel free to reach out to your your FBN contact and we can get you in touch with the the right people within FBN and GreenEye to, to learn more about the, the details and, and chat through what the opportunities could be for your operation. It is incredible to see what we can do with technology, folks. We've been speaking this morning with Matt Meisner, the Vice President of Research and Development at FBN, and Nadav Bocher, the CEO of GreenEye, about their new partnership. Gentlemen, thank both of you for joining us today. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk some H2A visa changes when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. 
heading to MCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The ag markets are recovering this morning following yesterday's big meltdown. Yesterday featured some heavy fund liquidation as the past weekend's precipitation totals exceeded expectations in Argentina and even southern Brazil. Forecast remains very favorable over the next two weeks in South America with the major weather models diverging just a bit. Euro models seeing above normal rains while the GFS model is a bit drier. Overall, though, more showers are expected into this weekend and next, perhaps improving but certainly stabilizing Argentine corn and soy crops that have been impacted by a months-long drought that is described to be the worst in 60 years. Water temperature anomalies in the equatorial Pacific continue to show cooler La Nina waters, but the atmosphere is already reflecting a transition away from La Nina. Those good rains that fell in Argentina stopped the damage while offering hope for recovering some lost production from the later planted crops. Argentina's corn and soybean crops will still be smaller this year, likely smaller than currently shown by USDA. Soybean losses will largely be offset by a big crop in Brazil, while the smaller corn crops should help boost U.S. exports later this year. Stock futures have been pulling back in early trade today following two days of notable gains as traders take note of earnings reports from many key players in the U.S. economy. Traders are being very cautious ahead of key economic data to be released later this week as well as the next Federal Reserve policy meeting next week. Now we should get durable goods order data on Thursday along with the first read on fourth quarter GDP followed by PCE inflation data on Friday. The VIX is trading near 20 this morning. That's reflecting some relative calm on Wall Street. And crude oil prices traded on both sides of unchanged in quiet action overnight. Currently, the March contract is down a few dimes. And Ukraine is reporting that 52 vessels have left the three approved ports in the first 20 days of this month, pulling the average per day down to 2.6 ships, with 120 ships still backed up and waiting for inspection. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to today's AOA. Since the COVID pandemic got started, it seems as though labor has been one massive crunch in the American economy. At the tail end of 2022, if you were a regular listener to AOA, you heard us talking to both the president of the International Dairy Food Association, the folks at U.S. Apple, about the labor shortage that is really doing some damage to the economic prospects of their industry. Well, the 117th Congress ended in December without any action on H-2A visas, which means the existing situation we have must work as well as it possibly can. And it seems as though there might be some additional delays with the current H-2A system in Washington, D.C. Joining us now to talk through these issues is Chris Richardson. He's served as a diplomat for decades with the U.S. government, now works as general counsel and chief operating officer at BDV Solutions. And Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Mike. You know, as we talk about the scale of the the labor issues or the labor shortage in this country, Chris, it is some staggering information. Do you know offhand just how big the shortage of labor is in this country that we're dealing with? Oh, my goodness. Well, the last test that we saw was that, you know, there are about 10 million job openings in the United States, but only only about 6 million unemployed workers. And so we have a huge labor shortage uh, currently in the United States. Absolutely. And I know that folks throughout the industry have used the H-2A program in order to help find sort of qualified foreign help to work in these operations. Chris, let's start at the beginning. For our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the H-2A process work, can you give us the rundown, high-level view, how does the H-2A process work? Who applies and who makes things happen? I think it's important to understand um, the immigration system in general. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think about immigration, they only think about the border and they think about what's going on with the border and the asylum seekers. But immigration is so much more beyond the well-known agencies and the departments and the border patrols. There's tens of thousands of bureaucrats across the government that handle immigration. Um, one of those agencies being the Department of Homeland Security, another being the Department of Homeland Labor. But basically, with the legal immigration system, you have millions of people who are applying, whether they be already in the country or abroad, who want to apply and go through a process and get in line. And they have to go through a series of government agencies, including the Department of Labor and the Department of Homeland Security to get approved. Um, that process what once used to take um, a couple of months or might take um, a little bit less than a year has ballooned into 18 or 24 months of waiting on applications to get approved across government uh, these days. Wow. And for, those are for folks who are ready to work. They're in some cases perhaps already here and it's still going to be a 24 month backlog to get them into that position. In some forms of immigration, yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, unfortunately, both the Department of Labor due to COVID, um, due to the prior administration, um, it, it just have huge, huge backlogs. Uh, Department of Labor has backlogs. Uh, Department of Homeland Security have backlogs. And we really haven't seen the effort on, on behalf of the Biden administration to really get a hold of all these backlogs and to think outside the box on how are we going to get uh, these people to work. Now, Chris, I know you recently wrote an editorial in The Hill and you were highlighting some of the challenges at the Department of Labor and from your perspective, working with potential employees trying to navigate this visa process. What are some improvements the Biden administration could make today to streamline this process? 
Yeah, we work with several farms ourselves, and they are just struggling uh, right now. Um, and I think a lot of people are hearing about these layoffs, but they don't realize that there's still millions of job openings across the country. And so what I think the Department of Labor needs to do is look at implementing a fee model, um, maybe paid by the employer or some kind of premium processing. Um, I think there needs to be more collaboration with state agencies, because state agencies have their own workforce or departments of labor. And our Department of Labor, the national one, should be really working with these state agencies uh, they might need to prioritize. Uh, USCIS or Department of Homeland Security had a prioritization scheme where they focused on essential services. And so maybe that's something the Department of, of Labor needs to do. Focus on food service, focus on farms, focus on manufacturing and small businesses, um, and prioritize those jobs right now because those are the jobs with the biggest labor shortages right now. And so there's a lot of different things, but I think that what we're seeing is that people are being neglectful or not putting the effort that they need into it. I think there's a lot of push on, hey, let Congress do it, let Congress fix this. But there are things that people within the government can do to at least alleviate a lot of these immigration issues until Congress acts. And Chris, in your experience, of course, years working in the agencies of diplomacy for the U.S. government, I, I understand you've probably bumped into these issues before. What's the slowdown? Why is the Department of Labor running so slow? Are these COVID personnel delays that can hopefully get worked out, or are these practice delays that they've got built into their system? Think it, I think it's everything, right? I think it's a sense of maybe they're not focused. Um, no one's really focusing in on these issues. No one's really looking at the Department of Labor. No one's really looking at these issues in detail because everyone is so focused on what's going on at the border. But what people fail to realize is that what's going on at the border is actually connected to the legal immigration system. If you don't have a functioning legal immigration Now, walk me through that. Right. If you don't have a way to move people through the legal immigration system, what happens is, is that people will find other mechanisms to get into the country. They are going to go to the border. They are going to go and try to use asylum as a mechanism of working instead of actually having to apply because it's just much more difficult to get to get through it. I think I understand your point. I'm going to say it back, Chris, just make sure I've got it correct. As these workers, folks who are ready, perhaps in Mexico or Central American countries, they want to work and they're looking at a two year delay before they can even start to earn income. When times are desperate, they'll just make a move for the border and try to get that American dream on their own. Is that the risk you see there? That's absolutely correct. I think that that's what we're seeing is that people, instead of waiting through the legal immigration system, which is completely and fundamentally broken, um, they're trying to go to the border instead, and they'll get a work permit um, when they file for their asylum. But that's not what the asylum system was meant for. Uh, we need the Department of Labor and the Department of Homeland Security to be working on all cylinders to get people to work. Chris, uh, understanding that Congress might not take up H-2A issues here, at least in the short run, as this Congress tries to get its feet under it, are there congressional actions that could happen to push these agencies to be more aggressive or assertive in getting these immigrant claims through the, through the process? Absolutely. I think that if Congress is not going to act legislatively, at the very least, they should use their investigative tools. Call in the people at the Department of Labor. Call in the people at USCIS. Ask them, where are we on these backlogs? What are we doing to get moving? What are you guys doing to simplify and modify the process to make sure that we don't have these two, three-year backlogs? 
And Congress needs to focus not just on the border crisis, but really link, intricately link the border crisis with what's going on in our departments and agencies. Because if that, if those departments and agencies are broken, then it's just going to fuel our border crisis even more. That is a really good point. Chris, you mentioned there is some action that Congress could take. Are there any congressional champions you're watching here in this new Congress who appear ready to take up this charge and perhaps push for some more common sense uh, immigration reforms? Oh, you know, I, my <laughs> hope springs eternal, but I'm really hoping that um, maybe Kirsten Sinema, uh, Tom Tillis, uh, senators from um, Arizona and uh, North Carolina, they were talking on about some immigration reforms in the past. So I'm hoping maybe they can get the ball rolling again. Um, I'm hoping in Congress itself that uh, Virginia Fox, um, who leads the workforce, um, the new workforce, uh, the, the, the committee that's covering labor, maybe she can call in the Department of Labor and, and ask them some questions. Um, but, you know, I'm just really looking forward to seeing if there's anybody who's going to step up and really focus on not just what the party wants. What, you know, I think that for, for me as an American, I don't want like a right government or left government. I just want a functioning government. And we just tolerate this, this, this bureaucracy and we tolerate so many things within our government that I just don't think that we as Americans should, all in the name of making sure people can score political points at home. That's so true. And the labor crunch on farms and ranches right now as we are speaking is tremendous. So, Chris, if we've got listeners out there who are looking at working with H-2A workers, maybe they've worked in the past, what sort of timelines do they have need to have in mind given that this thing is slowed down as of now? I think that they're going to have to get competent legal, legal counsel at this point and really focus on, okay, so we really want these people. Um, how are we going to get them through the process in time? I think that they need to be thinking about, okay, so I have these folks. Um, it's going to take several more months than what I anticipated, maybe even up to a year from what I anticipated. Um, but how am I going to get actively involved in pushing our government to really focus on these issues? I think that Congress and our departments and agencies are so used to hearing about the border crisis that a lot of them don't really hear from us about what's going on in our departments and agencies. And so I think that they should, you know, buckle down and get ready for the long haul and the long wait. But in the meantime, really focus on calling their congressmen and congresswomen and senators and forcing them to at least consider, if not immigration reform, then at the very least making sure that these agencies are working for all Americans. And absolutely. If we can't make the system work better, let's at least make the system that we've got work as good as it possibly can for the benefit of agriculturalists and manufacturers and folks across America. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been speaking with Chris Richardson of BDV Solutions today. And Chris, if we've got listeners who are curious about this issue, maybe they're working with H-2A workers. Can you talk, uh, tell us how they can get in touch with BDV Solutions for assistance if needed? Oh, sure. They can go to our website, www.bdvsolutions.com. Uh, for more information on how to get labor as well. Fantastic, folks. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate the discussion on this very important issue for agriculture. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, you bet. And folks, stay with us. We're going to say goodbye to Chris Richardson and hello to Chris Robinson when AOA returns from Robinson Ag Marketing. We'll talk about what's moving in these commodity markets today. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Jay Deberton, CEO of CHS. And Jay, the cooperative had a strong performance in the first quarter of fiscal 2023. What are the headlines for CHS member owners? We are reporting the record earnings for uh, for the company for our first quarter results at about $783 million, revenues of just under $13 billion, revenues up about 17% uh, quarter on quarter. You know, good balance ac- across the portfolio in terms of where the earnings came from. Energy was in at about $400 million of earnings. Really strong quarter for energy, uh, just continues to rebound well from COVID and other issues around the world. And in our egg platform, which is where our processing, our grain, handling business, our retail operations, and agronomy operations lay about $287 million worth of earnings within that platform. Fertilizer drove a lot of conversation this last year. Did that drive additional business for the cooperative, Jay? In our nitrogen production segment, we had earnings about $97 million. That's uh, that's our joint venture we have with CF Industries, where we actually have a manufacturing joint venture with CF Industries around nitrogen. And as you know, and as your listeners know, high fertilizer prices are 
translating into high earnings off that segment. The benefit uh, of doing business with CHS and a cooperative is uh, when that segment makes good money and, and you buy from CHS, you get to participate in that. Jay, does CHS have advice for farmers planning for their fertilizer needs in that 23 crop? We have the fertilizer today. We will have it in the spring, but we know our pricing and, and, and so forth today. There's just a lot of variables between now and when people hit the fields. They could go a number of different ways, knowing, okay, I know what the circumstances are today. I can see what the forward prices are, and I can make some marketing decisions as well as some cost of input decisions. That's Jay Deberton, CEO of CHS. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and medical expenses are covered. If you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over 60, call 24-7. 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's time now to take a look at the grain markets. And this wheat trade is on a little bit of a turnaround Tuesday, it would appear. Joining us now is Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. And Chris, anything surprising happen in the overnight trade for the wheat market? You know, I think, you know, that we have a little bit of a headline about internal shortages of in India. Um, that, that could be, you know, the market's looking for any reason to rally. It's very, very oversold. The commercials are all long, which is kind of unusual. Uh, so the commercials are stepping there and buying it. We're starting to see stories about, uh, you know, wheat being used for uh, uh, heading into cattle feed. So the market is very oversold. It's looking for a reason to rally, and uh, it's not going to take a whole lot to turn it around. Um, we're at historic lows, uh, you know, big technical levels, and we're just going to have to see. Um, uh, but overnight, it just felt like, you know, a little bit of a, you said it earlier, you know, turnaround Tuesday, anybody that was short, uh, obviously, you know, they're going to take their profits. Chris, I, I was interested that you mentioned wheat working its way into feed rations. Over the past three weeks, I've talked to a couple different cattle feeders, and I've heard that from all three folks. Is this something, could we see enough wheat work into the ration to change the domestic wheat balance sheet over this next year? Um, I don't know. It may be temporary. And, and the problem with the USDA information we get, it's always lagging. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is this we all know that we've got historically tight stocks, right? So to have this happen when we have historically tight stops, uh, tight stocks, excuse me, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's supply and demand rules. So if a, if a end user is like, well, I can buy corn for X or I can buy this wheat for Y, they will make that the business decision. And, uh, you know, again, this is, a, a, this is what happens when you get – kind of a, a disconnect because we do have tight supplies, but the market's not reflecting that. The market, you know, is not concerned about it. I mean, there's a, a million different reasons and you can get real far deep in the woods. But at the end of the day, um, it's price is what matters. So we may see more of that. Um, again, the problem with it is it's a lagging indicator. So by the time it turns, it may still be in the headlines. 
Yeah, that is a very good point. That's always true with data from the USDA. Chris, as we take a look at the commodity markets today, wheat up big 10, 13 to 20 cents here across the different classes of wheat. Seeing corn put on some nice upside as well, seven to eight cents here in the old crop market. Any fundamental news in the corn trade or is this just spillover support from wheat? I think it's spillover support from wheat and also a kind of a, you know, a correction back. You've seen in the past three, four weeks, you've seen bull spreading because once the USDA gave us those numbers, we do have tight, tighter than expected supplies in old crop at the end of the day. Now, new crops taking the sell pressure because everybody's concerned that if they got rain in South America, Argentina and uh, Brazil you know, could have a large crop. So that's why you're seeing that spreading where you may continue to see that where the front months are bid up a little bit and some of the sell pressure is heading into the, the new crop. Uh, so it's a time of the year where you need to be watching. You want to make sure that you're hedging in the proper uh, months because you could see old crop, new crop. You could see that spread move further. Absolutely. And it can catch you off guard if you're not prepared to be dealing with old crop hedged on a new crop contract. Chris, we've talked a lot about the weather situation down there in South America, still definitely moving the soybean market. Beans up, mixed today, old and new crop. What's developing down there in South America? Anything of note weather-wise as of now? Well, we have 10 good days of rain. That's the last forecast. We got better than expected rain over the weekend. That's one reason we sold off so hard. Um, they put the weather premium in over the weekend. They took it out. Uh, and, and we may see that again heading into this weekend. If there's any change in the weather forecast, they'll put the premium back in. What does that mean? Well, that means they'll, they'll bid up the price if they're concerned. Now, long story short, the, the Brazilians are still going to have what, what's expected to be a record soybean crop, 5.6 billion bushels. They don't plant their second, their, their corn crop, really. Their, their largest corn crop is their second crop, the Safrahina. That gets planted once they've harvested these beans. That's the 75% of their corn. So that is key because it pollinates in about late April, early May. So we may have weather premium until then in corn. Uh, but again, if we don't have a weather issue in South America, everybody's factoring in you know, a bigger supply. And uh, until we can get uh, a change in the demand, our demand's been kind of lagging as well. One of those two things has, has got to kind of turn the corner here for us to, to turn around. In the meantime, if it doesn't happen, you could see new crop corn and new crop beans sort of drift lower. All right. Looking at the old crop, Chris, uh, we've seen a lot of conversation develop here about the product markets on the soy side, both oil and meal. Meal has been variable, but my goodness, it has kind of fallen apart, at least that March meal contract here over the past couple of days. Anything fundamentally changed there or is the trade just getting a little more confident in supplies out of Argentina? I think that's that they're they're trying to factor in new crop supplies coming out of, of South America, and it's been on a, a complete tear. I mean, just back in October, March meal was at 388. Uh, you know, four days ago we were almost at you know 490. We got the 488, so that was a big, you know, 20 point move. Um, here's the one thing that's driving, which you need to take uh, take notice of: managed money. They are long meal. They've got a record long meat position. We, meal position. They bought uh, 8,000 more contracts last week. So that could be something to watch. As long as they keep adding to that long position, it'll be friendly for, for meal. However, you can see how quickly the market can turn. Now, the good news is, you know, we had a, a, a correction, but we've already kind of snapped that back. I would expect to see more volatile markets like that. But at the end of the day, every Friday, double check and see what the 
the managed money is doing because right now they are a force of nature. They are bet long, and as long as they're betting with you, they're good. What you got to worry about is when they hit the get me out button, uh, they can have sharp, sharp corrections, and so that's something to watch. But generally, you know, the best soybean meal, excuse me, the best soybean rallies historically have been led by meal. So we'll see if that holds up. Um, I caution people, you know, keep a big picture outlook. Um, you know, that's the key. Sometimes when we have these 30, 40 cent moves, you can get kind of lost in the weeds. Step back and look at the big picture. That is a great point, folks. We've been talking with Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing. Keep an eye on that managed money position in the meal market, particularly if you need to be a buyer as they exit might be some buying opportunities. Folks, tune in to AOA tomorrow. We're going to talk the ongoing battle against California's AB5, which limits how truckers can be categorized for work. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.